If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Yes, hello, and welcome, welcome to Chapter 3 of the dubious book of famous deeds. My name's Paul Bates. I'm your host for this podcast where we explore world history as told to us by a 132-year-old book that I found uh, lying in the street. It's an 1889 uh, English book entitled The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds. It is uh, not an accurate book. But trust me, I am I'm doing everything I can to fill in the blanks and answer the questions that this book leaves unanswered. This episode is honestly one of my favorite ones. It's, uh, it's really funny. Uh, yeah, it's about tunnels. Specifically, the St. Gotthard Rail Tunnel, completed in 1882. I know most people don't want to you know, sit down and listen to a podcast about tunnels. Maybe engineers do, but let's be honest, engineers aren't listening to podcasts because they are too busy partying like maniacs. So if you are here, if you're listening to this, you're a very special person because you know that we're going to hear about more than just tunnels in this episode. What that is, I can't tell you, but you know what? It's not about the tunnels. It's about the journey. And on that journey, we have such a funny guest. He's a really good friend. He's one of my favorite people to perform with. Please welcome to the podcast, Alistair Forbes. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast today. I I was so excited when you reached out and asked me to do a podcast with you because I, obviously I just love hanging out. And then you told me what the premise was, and um, I was disappointed. I got to be honest. Uh, That's fair. The, okay. The idea well, of reading this terrible book. Um, well, we don't we don't know if it's terrible just because I found it like as a piece of garbage on the side of the road. We don't a hundred percent know. <laughs> If it's terrible yet, I feel like the jury's out. We've got to just get through a good sizable chunk of it before we, you know, before we make that kind of judgment. You know what yeah, I mean? You're right. Lest we judge a book by its cover that was found on the side of the road as garbage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Alistair, this is chapter three of this book. As the title suggests, there's some 19th century British Empire era exclusionism going on. There's not a lot of women in this book. Like, so far, there's zero. There's no women in this book. <laughs> so far. Wow. Yeah. But maybe this is the chapter that, that changes everything. I, I've read ahead. Don't get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> Did you say it was written in 1879? Uh, this book was published in 1889. It was awarded uh, as, a, as a prize for excellence in mathematics to a student in 1890. <laughs> wow. Wow. What an incredible prize to be given. I guess I really hope they didn't give it to a female pupil. That would be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> it was awarded in the Toronto Church School for Boys to a student by the name of Leslie Wallace. So the jury's out. 
at some point you have to be worried that some family of Leslie Wallace is going to contact you and say, stop this podcast immediately. That's our family's heirloom. <laughs> you are denigrating our ancestors' <laughs> legacy. Alistair, chapter one, we explored the life and legacy of William Shakespeare. Oh. Chapter two, we went down a road of violent conquests and thrills, learning the story of Shamil, the Circassian chief. Are you ready? <laughs> For chapter three. I cannot wait. Here we go. It's chapter three, the longest tunnel in the world. <laughs> Is that the, the title head of the chapter? Yes, that's the subject. Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I feel, like, I feel like I should have been on chapter two uh, already. I just want to say. The Great St. Gothard Tunnel is now completed. At 10 o'clock on the morning of February the 29th, 1880, the piercing of the St. Gotthard Tunnel was accomplished by one last blast. The two galleries which have been approaching each other from either end were thrown into one long tunnel, and the opposite gangs of workmen rushed into each other's arms and exchanged congratulations on the successful accomplishment of their task. Okay, okay. Uh, this... Wow, this is exciting. I have to be honest. So, uh, just ju just to take literally what you said, the the two galleries, like, were they implying the two galleries of people, like in stands, were like in the tunnel and they were thrown, like they're on a track, like a railroad track? <laughs> just these galleries, just slowly <laughs> moving towards each other. Well, like, yeah, yeah, that is exactly. I think that's how they built the tunnel. They each started at one end and they met in the middle. Um, galleries of audience. Uh, yeah. Okay, so do you want any context of of where this is? I was about to ask you, I've never heard of this tunnel. It can't be the longest tunnel for that long because... Uh, I, I don't want to give it away, but no, it is not any longer the world's longest tunnel. Um, <laughs> what? I'm shocked. Uh, I am shocked that this tunnel I've never heard of that finished in 1880, which I should be making fun of. It's It's... Still probably more than I've ever accomplished in my life, let's be honest. It's still something. They still built a tunnel. Um, yeah, a giant tunnel. Uh, this is in the Swiss Alps. It's through the Swiss Alps. Oh, wow. We're talking about a tunnel connecting German-speaking Switzerland to Italian-speaking Switzerland. And uh, Did you know that there was a German-speaking Switzerland and an Italian-speaking Switzerland? I knew that there were many... Um, official languages of Switzerland, but I didn't know, you know, I, I've no, I, I have no knowledge of who speaks what where. Do you know what I mean? Do, yeah, I do. I do. Just a couple of ignorant guys talking history. <laughs> have you ever been to Switzerland, Alistair? I have been in the airport in Geneva, and I will tell you this, those airport trains run on time. <laughs> like there's a big giant swatch, like the brand swatch oh, yeah. clock, and, and it counts down when the train will be there, and it's to the second. It is, I like, I was like, this is very on brand. It felt very on brand. All right. Uh, the first man who actually succeeded in getting through the tunnel was Monsieur Bossy, the manager of the works. That's right. The man in charge was named Mr. Bossy. Um, <laughs> but even he had been forestalled by the portrait of the late Monsieur Favre, the contractor, which the workmen had pushed through as soon as the aperture had reached a width of three inches. So the main engineer, <laughs> Louis Favre, the Swiss engineer, um, he died before uh, the tunnel could be completed. And so they, they, as soon as they could, they pushed a, a rolled up 
painting of him through the title. Through, yeah, yeah, as a symbolic. That's a nice symbolic gesture. And I bet you the audiences in their galleries behind the workers on both sides would have appreciated that moment and probably broken out in an applause or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. The tunnel is the longest in the world, nine and a quarter miles, and has only taken seven years and five months in piercing, less than half the time occupied in piercing the Mont Cenis Tunnel, which is a tunnel in the European Alps, which was previously the longest tunnel in the world. So this tunnel is like like 15 kilometers. Nine and, nine and a half miles, something around there? That's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's 15 kilometers. In fact, it's only uh, about a few hundred meters longer than the Mount McDonald Tunnel in Rogers Pass through the Rockies in British Columbia, if that means anything to you. I know you're from the West Coast. I have been through the that tunnel, that very tunnel. Okay. All right. uh, now, I, in British Columbia, but I, hold on a second. So I, that's quite long. That is much longer than I thought this tunnel would be. I mean, I've been sitting here shitting on it, and it's 15 oh. kilometers long. That's... Uh, uh, that's <laughs> that's a good length for you. Okay, that's, that's an impressive, a, that's tunnel. An impressive I don't, tunnel. Now I'm curious to know what the actual longest tunnel would, how far that would be. We'll end the podcast with um, a little present day rundown of long tunnels. <laughs> I, I don't just what this podcast needs. <laughs> so every, like, I feel like this is like we're guaranteed to have some full retention all the way to the end here. Everyone's going to want to know. <laughs> Got to make it to that list of tunnels. Got to make it to the list of tunnels. All right. Just got to get past these two ignorant dudes talking about history. (laughs) Okay. So, um, this rapidity of execution is mainly due to the efficiency of the air compressors invented by Professor Colladon. We're talking about Jean-Daniel Colladon, the physicist born in Geneva. Lots of famous Swiss people worked on this tunnel. The compressed air serving as a motive power for both the perforators, which bore the rock, and the locomotives, which draw the wagons, and also as a means of ventilation. Notwithstanding a constant supply of air, however, the atmosphere in the tunnel has been terribly foul and hot. That feels too subjective. How could the author know that? (laughs) That's a good point. The author can't know that. The author was not there for sure. Okay. Um, Out of a stud of 40 horses, 10 have died on an average every month. Let me do some quick math so you don't have to. 10 horses dead a month at, what was it, seven years and five months of piercing? That's 890 dead horses that this tunnel has been built on. (laughs) Holy... Can can we swear on this yeah, podcast? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Shit, I can't. That's, that's wow. Yeah, ten horses a month. Ten horses a month. Holy, that's almost a thousand dead horses. This is yeah. Do you think what like so, there are people like dead horse handlers? Would you think that was a job on the? Oh god, just the loading them onto their air compressed locomotive wagons to just like haul out dead horses, <laughs> like horse carcasses. Yeah, totally. Oh. I mean, I guess you'd feed the feed the workers. Oh yeah, horse meat. Yeah. That's a good point. And and if you want to do any crafts, you've got glue. That's you're seeing the bright side. I didn't see the bright side of this, but you are. I'm glad you're here. Um, okay. While the men who worked eight hours a day, I doubt I doubt that that was the most they worked a day. Their daily wage being five shillings, were compelled to take frequent holidays to recruit their strength. Isn't that nice that they call them holidays? I think what they're referring to is like a weekend or maybe just Sundays. Yeah. Is the holiday. A lie down on a cot. The loss of life from premature explosions has been considerable. Several having been killed. Uh, I looked it up. 200, uh, about about 200 people died. 
Um, Holy shit. Yes. Uh, uh, however. Almost 900 horses, 200 people. Yeah, it's not the worst ratio of horse to man, I guess. It, it, apparently, most of the, uh, the the deaths were from in in rushes of water. Uh, how else did uh, did people die? Let's see. Um, oh, uh, a lot of the deaths also were due to uh, the compressed air driven trains. Um, maybe they were just too compressed. Maybe they traveled too quickly. Uh, some people <laughs> died from those. Well, this so far. Is a chapter describing great men for sure. <laughs> Just uh, uh, also, um, four men died in a worker strike protesting the working conditions and the and the wages, and uh, that strike was crushed by the Swiss Army. So four people I died. I believe that's called murder, isn't it? It's not that they died; they were murdered. They died of murder at the hands of the army for <laughs> demanding better yeah. working conditions. That's right. That's exact. That is one of the causes of death in the creation of the Saint Gotthard Tunnel. <laughs> All joking aside, it does seem weird that they'd be striking when they were given so many holidays. <laughs> That's true. What, are, you know, what else could you possibly want? <laughs> yeah. Its architect, Monsieur Favre, Louis Favre, will not have lived to see the work which he undertook. In fact, he died in the tunnel. You know, he was walking through, he was inspecting it, whatever, um, and like paused and was like, you guys go ahead and literally died leaning against a wall in the uh, in the tunnel of a heart attack. Oh, wow. Yeah. He really gave this tunnel his all. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, to literally. Uh, he will not have lived to see the work which he undertook, but the contract which he signed will nevertheless have been executed within good time in despite of enormous difficulties. I can tell you that, Alistair, that that is not true. Um, what? Uh, he signed his contract. The book is saying, oh, he, he definitely will have finished the, the tunnel in time. Um, no, he didn't. This was uh, a major miscalculation on Louis Favre's part. Uh, his company won the contract to build this tunnel by underbidding six other companies. Uh, he promised it would take eight years to build and cost 56 million Swiss francs to complete the job. The tunnel was completed 10 months late, and this was a financial disaster for him because the contract <gasps> he signed fined him 5,000 francs a day for each day he went over schedule for the first six months, and then 10,000 francs a day after that. So, Oh my gosh. First of all, okay. Oh man, a lot to unpack. Okay. First, I was going to say eight months over is not that bad on an eight-year contract, that's 10 true. months over, especially given today's standards. Secondly, why don't we still have those contracts today? That's all I ever want for like city construction jobs when they're like, they put up signs like this will be done by spring 2020 and then it's not done for years. Right in a clause where you will be bankrupt if you don't get it done on time. So that might be, you know, that might offer some perspective as to why he died of a heart attack in the middle of his tunnel um, because he was financially ruined by this. It's his greatest achievement, but it also uh, completely ruined him and his company. Greatest achievement and greatest failure That's at right. the same time, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Few people have any exact idea of the hardships of tunneling. Well, you're about to find out. In the present instance, it means boring through nine miles and a quarter of solid rock from a small place called Geshishen or Goshenen at the mouth of a wild and picturesque little river, the Royce, 
to another small place called Erolo on the Ticino, which is the first village where Italian is spoken as you come out of Switzerland. The borings were commenced in 1872, with machinery worked by compress air, and operations were carried on from both ends at once. As it is, the boring has been so correctly performed that the workmen from Erola were able to shake hands through the opening with those of Geshenen. It seems... <laughs> It seems that these unfortunates have been toiling in a temperature scarcely lower than that of a hothouse, and nobody grudged them hearty congratulations when they finished their piercing and established a regular grateful draft of air which enabled them to carry on the remainder of their work under pleasanter conditions. <laughs> okay, uh... First of all, congratulations. I know you've been up all night practicing those Italian and <laughs> Swiss, you. French, German Thank you. names. Secondly, uh, wait, so they're implying that uh, it was hot and horrible, but as soon as the opening, like four and a half miles in or whatever, was open, everything was fine? Like then suddenly it's cool air? It sounds like everything was pleasant. I guess it's when you open two different windows and like, uh, you know, different areas of your apartment and like you get a little cross, cross draft. Is that what it's called? Cross yeah, you just got to assume at, at nine miles, like that cross draft a, is either not going to be very big at all or so big, it, like the water, smushes everyone up against the rocks and kills them. <laughs> yes. There's only one of those two options. It's one or the other. Nine and a half. I mean, that's a long tunnel. That is, it is a long tunnel. And, those, like and insanely, I, it is insanely impressive that they do bore from each side and then meet up exactly. Like, that's crazy. That is, you know what? This book does not explain the minutia of how one would figure that out, but that's pretty amazing that they got it that spot on. I, I think it was generally viewed as a pretty amazing success that they did that. Do you think, uh, to cut back to the recipient of this book, uh, Lawrence... Leslie. Leslie, damn it, was given this book to use his math skills to figure it out. How did they do it? Oh, right. Yeah. So it's so like turn to chapter, turn to page 16. <laughs> figure this <laughs> and out. And figure it out for us. Yeah. <laughs> we got a tunnel to build. <laughs> that would be a great, you know, I, I like to I like to imagine that every prize was simply another job in disguise back then. <laughs> yeah. Happy birthday. It's a hammer. Uh, you're late for work. <laughs> Oh, man. 1880s, a notoriously shit time. Okay. <clears throat> the cost of excavating and tunneling over the nine and quarter miles was set down in Monsieur Favre's contract at two million sterling, which I guess you know, converts to 56 million Swiss francs, which may give some idea of what the submarine tunnel between Boulogne and Dover will cost, should it ever be attempted. They're talking, of course, about the, the channel. They're, the channel? They're already, in 1880, uh, imagining and, you know, proposing plans to build a tunnel under the English Channel. Yeah. Uh, but it would not be, of course, attempted seriously until, like, the second half of the 20th century. Amateurs of speed in traveling will look upon the completion of the St. Gotthard Tunnel as an unmitigated boon. Going from <laughs> Baal to Milan, they will be spared the jolt by diligence, that means uh, uh, horse carriage, carriage, or by sleigh, according to season, between Bellezona and Lugano, and will have the satisfaction of passing in the dark through one of the grandest tracts of scenery in Europe. I'm not sure why that's 
satisfying to just like bypass something to look at that's pretty <laughs> yeah totally in the dark you're bypassing the screen but also did it did it describe people as amateurs of speed travel is that like Am- amateurs of speed and traveling speed in traveling yeah, yeah because that's got to be a huge hobby in the 1880s it's like Oh, I would like to go traveling, but I'm one of those people who goes there as quick as possible, and that's my sport. Oh, 100%. Like, like in 1880, if you were like, just so you know, I've been to Hawaii, that alone has got to blow people's minds, right? Like, <laughs> Hawaii has got to be a, a very difficult, like, the Polynesian Islands is going to be a very difficult place to get to right. in, in 1880. But if you're one of those people who, like, you're so rich that it doesn't matter that you've been there, it's more about how quickly did you get there. I'm just going to go on a limb here and say you're a dick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. If, you can't be a good person if in the if in the end of the nineteenth century, the 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 thrill isn't the joy of what you're seeing, but instead how quickly you're getting there. That's like <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the birth of dickishness, right there. <laughs> like you gotta be a super dick if someone says to you, "I went to Hawaii from from Europe, from the UK. I went to Hawaii." Like people would have their minds blown. What's it like and stuff like that? But if your response was, "Oh," Well, how quick did you get there? <laughs> you just like what a dick! What a dick! <laughs> We've reached the halfway point, and if you're tired, you could be honest. If you're tired of of hearing about tunnels, don't worry, because the author of this chapter is tired of writing about them. Uh, in part two, we're going to take some wild detours and go way off topic. But don't worry. By the end of this episode, you're still going to find out what is the longest tunnel in the world today. Do not, don't Google it. Don't spoil this surprise for yourself. All right? Do you treat yourself to sticking around to the very end of this episode? And we'll be right back after this brief but necessary break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back. We were just talking about uh, amateurs of speed in traveling, and we're going to pick up there, and we're going to transition into a sense of what it's like to travel through 1880s Switzerland. It's going to be like our own personal travel guide. This is going to be lovely. Put on your, your sightseeing headphones and join me and Alistair Forbes as we continue with part two of the world's longest tunnel. Amateurs of speed in traveling will look upon the completion of the St. Gotthard Tunnel as an unmitigated boon. They will do, in 25 minutes, what used not always to be accomplished in 25 hours. For there were times when blinding snowstorms broke suddenly over that steep and treacherous St. Gotthard Pass, making travelers right glad to reach the Monte Rosa Hotel at the top, or the hospice where the benevolence of the Canton of Ticino has provided beds for fifteen poor travelers. 
Okay. <laughs> well, also, those businesses are closed for sure, right? Like, this book is spelling the doom of those businesses. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And now we will get to bypass those lovely people who helped everyone out and bankrupt them. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few things about this. Um, Monte Rosa Hotel, looked it up, could not find it, can't find any record of it ever. <laughs> Secondly, the hospice in the canton of Ticino, uh, also uh, no records, no record. There's some modern hospices, but nothing about an old hospice. And I think that they're talking about the great St. Bernard Hospice, uh, which is in Bernard, which is in St. Bernard. Of the famous St. Bernard Hospice, of the famous St. Bernards who run around with whiskey in a little barrel around their neck? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So so sick. They've picked a couple places that have nothing to do with this place, and they're saying, that's what you'll see in Switzerland. I've always thought that, like, if you're going to release a St. Bernard in a mountain to find someone, you put a little keg of whiskey. I mean, it's nice. Sure, if you're stuck in the woods and you get a little keg of whiskey, like, sure, it's nice. But I bet you I would have loved it more if inside the keg was a map. (laughs) Yeah, or medicine. I don't know. <laughs> medicine, yeah. Morphine, Food? yeah. I don't, yeah. Matches, I, matches for a fire. You know, this comes from the time when you would see somebody um, dying on the ground from a gunshot wound, and you would just kneel down and give them a sip of whatever you had on you to drink, and then they would die in your arms. <laughs> wow, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess so, because if if over this travel, uh, this, this mountain that they used to go around, if one of the places you'd stop was a hospice, which, if I'm not correct, is a place for people to die. Yes. <laughs> yes. They just assume. They're assuming. I guess maybe they're going off of a census uh, that 15 people are going to die uh, at any given time on the St. Gotard Pass. Um, the St. Gotard Pass, incidentally, I've looked it up. It is, I mean, we're going to hear about it in this chapter, but uh, it's beautiful. It's like what, what, what this tunnel replaced was a nightmarish uh, path of hairpin turns and uh, eight uh, ancient bridges over, oh, wow. over canyons and crags and uh, uh, and, and violent river. Uh, so it sounds like a really cool place to travel now. But that, back then, uh, it's hard not to imagine what that must have been like. It's just like, oh, I got to get across. I got to get to the German Switzerland. Like, this is going to be another nightmare. Like, I might be one of the 15 who dies today. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. What a terrible time if your family lived on the other side of the mountain. It's like family re- reunions would just get smaller and smaller as you go back and forth <laughs> yeah. every time. Yeah. Just whittle it down one by one. You try and pop out babies quicker than you lose them in the travel. <laughs> um, so just a heads up about this chapter and where it's headed. Uh, you'll, you might have already noticed that we've stopped talking about the tunnel. Um, and I think... <laughs> I think the author has literally run out of things, but he's been assigned a certain number of words that he has to, you know, complete this thing in. Um, Incredible. Uh, and so, uh, and so, we're gonna say we're gonna take some some steep turns away from the actual engineering and more into uh, into a lovely travelogue of, <laughs> of Switzerland. Um, okay. Often wayfarers have lost their way in the snow and have had to huddle helpless by the roadside waiting to hear the tinkling of the bells round the necks of the Newfoundland dogs, not Newfoundland dogs, St. Bernard's, (gasps) which the monks of the hospice always sent out in quest of strangers when the weather was bad. What 
music so joyous as that of these bells in the perishing winter cold, unless it were the bark of the good dogs themselves as they sniffed the presence of the stranger and ran with unerring accuracy to extricate him from his scrape. Grateful tourists endowed with worldly means were often anxious to buy their four-footed preservers and were allowed to do so on a payment of about 15 pounds. Or they could have a puppy for three pounds. It was safer to buy a puppy, for the larger dogs, accustomed to the keenness of the mountain air, never throve in other climes, and even the pups were apt to grow consumptive after they had been away for a few months from their snows. What? Wait, what? This is a chapter about the longest town in the world, and it's talking about tourists buying dogs from monks uh, in the in the pa- in this pass. Is that right? Yeah, this is just a little, little side note that if you are uh, not taking the train and are in fact taking the pass, the treacherous pass, and you happen to become lost and close to death, and you somehow by chance get found by a Saint Bernard, mislabeled as a Newfoundland dog. Um, uh, you can purchase that dog. <laughs> Which, of course, makes the rescue operation more and more difficult as every dog who successfully rescues someone just gets bought. Like, well, I'll buy him for sure. And then they just keep having to train. <laughs> and only the bad dogs stay and no one wants to buy yeah. them because they keep losing totally. lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Recollections like these, memories of dangers overcome and of pleasant nights spent on the mountain albergi, endear the St. Gotthard Road to travelers who are fond of meeting adventures when they journey at the Monte Rosa Hotel or at the Albergio del San Gotaldo facing it. Now that hotel exists and is still in operation. The Alberto del San Gotaldo is open and not currently accepting guests because there's a pandemic but it's it, it, look it up it's it's pleasant it looks very nice it looks very old and it's pretty much like wow. one of like maybe four buildings in the area at the monte rosa hotel or the albergo del san gotardo one was sure to get a comfortable bed in a well-warmed room a substantial dinner and sometimes cheerful company the visitors books in these two hostelries bear ample evidence that joviality is rather the rule than the exception among travelers, for one can scarcely read a grumble, whereas there are pages upon pages devoted to recording the impressions of tourists who have been delighted with everything they saw and heard, from the misty outlines of the always invisible St. Gotthard to the patter of the large-eyed Italian serving wenches who bring in the tureens of steaming macaroni soup flavored with parmesan cheese well 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 we've got it the first mention of women <laughs> in the book <laughs> yes italian serving wenches <laughs> wow <laughs> do you think the author went to these hotels and that's what he came away with i think the author simply looked out the window and imagined <laughs> <laughs> what he might see and literally, probably, I, I think probably nine out of ten times when he looked out of his window, whatever he was working on, he imagined Italian serving wedges. <laughs> I got to be honest. I think you're giving him too much credit. I don't think he put in the effort to look out the window for this one. <laughs> uh, okay. This is about tunnels. 
when the wind blows on the St. Gotthard Road, at night it makes a noise like the howling of a legion of imps and effectually scares sleep away. <laughs> this St. Gotthard wind, by the by, is called by the natives at the Swiss end of the road Hutschelm, or Hat Rogue, because of its playful propensity to whisk off the hats of travelers and fling them into some abyss or into the rumbling, foaming waters of the Royce. Um, this brings me up just a, this is a side, side question. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you ever wish that like, um, that hats were still a thing? Like not baseball caps, which of course are a thing, but like, uh, like old time, like, like fedoras and like, you know, like gentlemen's hats. Always, always. I do. Right. Like, I feel like every guy has a secret wish that like that was still in fashion so they could get cool hats. Yes. In fact, I have owned a fedora, a fedora or two and have stopped wearing them because like I it took a while to see the writing on the wall. Like I was not bringing this back, <laughs> you know? Um and I I don't know. I don't know if one day I saw a picture of myself or just like had a moment of clarity looking in the mirror, but I was like, what am I doing? I can't. Um, but yes, I, I was wearing fedoras for a while and I would love it. I would like wait for a great day, a great summer day. I was just like, oh, put on my hat. And then uh, like equally embarrassing uh, are the days when you're like, oh, I got to go on a long walk. Uh, I need cover and I don't have a ball cap. I only have a fedora. Um <laughs> And I bring one. Does that happen I, a lot to you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Welcome to my world of privileges. I only have fedoras. <laughs> Many a comfortable wide awake, the pride and solace of its owner, has been disposed of in this way, without a warning whiff to announce that the boisterous wind was coming. So a wide awake was a popular hat at some point. I really want to know what a wide awake is. Can you look it up? Now I tell you what if we look this up will you agree that we'll both buy wide awakes and try and bring them back a hundred percent uh i've looked them up we will look very bad <laughs> okay i'm looking it up too hang on i would have described it as a bit of an amish hat like what i've seen uh in movies of amish people wearing it's like a a bowler with a much bigger rim but very tall like <laughs> head portion. Yes. <laughs> yes. Accurate description, right? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how better to describe it than you, except that it looks like the hat that a, a, a highwayman might wear uh, when, oh, when yes. robbing you and stepping out from the, the, from the, from the bushes to rob you uh, and your stage coasts traveling. Yeah. Back. But not a cool highwayman. No, 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 no. Like one of the lesser, like one of the background character high, highwaymen for the sure. Highwaymen you do not want to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I guess, I guess you and I will be sporting those in 2021. <laughs> oh yeah. This pandemic can't end soon enough. I can't wait for us to walk down the street in our matching wide awakes. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> it is not always bad weather on the St. Gotthard. When the snows have melted and the winter winds ceased blowing, the sun often shines out for days and days together, tinting all the mountain crests with pink and throwing broad streaks of orange light into those craggy recesses which from November to May look so black. At such times, standing on the Tufelsbrück, which is one of the bridges uh, that they describe in this book, and uh, that's Tufelsbrück means Devil's Bridge. Um, oh, wow. The Devil's Bridge, it's cool. It, it, I looked it up. Uh, 
there's there were still there. There's two of them now because the first one was built in 1595 and lasted all the way to the 1800s until it finally collapsed. But in 1820, they built a new one a little higher up uh, to cross over. So there's there's two different bridges. They're both like they're both treacherous to get across, especially the older one, which looks exactly like the one that Gandalf fell off of in the Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, this is this That's is like so there's cool. a romantic aspect of travel for me here. It's like not a bridge that I might want to cross, but I love that those bridges are out there, you know, still. Yeah, well, of course. I, well, th- traveling through the Swiss, Swiss Alps would be absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. if if you weren't losing 15 people per journey. True. Yes. <laughs> on average. Yes. <laughs> I love the idea that you you have a guide through the Alps at those times and you're with your family and like. Like, it's like a little kid who's, like, really cold. Like, sir, uh, how much longer? I'm very cold. And the guy's just like, don't worry. The hospice is just around the corner. <laughs> uh, you can die there in peace. <laughs> uh, where are we here? Uh, at such time, standing on the Tufusbruck and listening to the cascade of the Royce, which dashes its waters with a noise of thunder to a depth of 100 feet below, the traveler, soused with spray, unless he have a waterproof, may watch the old and broken Devil's Bridge 20 feet below, that's the old 1595 one I'm talking about, where a savage battle was fought between the Austrians and French in August 1779. Still, nothing new to say about tunnels we're going to talk about a battle in 1779 <laughs> every guide has the story of this homeric encounter pat on the end of his tongue the austrians had taken up a strong position on the bridge but being unable to bear up against the fury of francesi they blew up the side arch in consequence of which hundreds of wretched frenchmen were precipitated like so many frogs into the abyss underneath. Wow, a little light racism on the French. I don't think that was light. Communications were thus cut off, but the surviving French, nothing daunted, actually scaled the right bank of the Royce, an awful ascent, and drove the Austrians back. We're talking, incidentally, about... The Battle of the Gotthard Pass, and it was part of the War of the Second Coalition waged by Britain, the Russian Empire, the Habsburgs, and most of the European monarchies against revolutionary France in an attempt to restore the French monarchy. Wow. Kings looking out for kings. Totally. The more things change, the more they stay the same. True I guess. enough, yeah. Such tales of human daring make the pulses thrill. But maybe the tourist who eyes the fearful steeps and measures the distance between the now moss-grown disused bridge and the rushing waters where so many brave fellows found a grave will turn more gladly to the scene of human enterprise displayed a few miles farther off where the tunnel borings were carried on day and night with a (laughs) stolid and magnificent patience. We're back to the tunnel, baby! Yes, baby! (laughs) It's back! We killed a bunch of French people and we're back, baby! (laughs) These are days when time is of value. The shortening of a journey by some hours is a great consideration and affects for the better in a multitude of ways the nations which are thereby brought into closer contact. 
As for the travelers who love scenery, they may be compensated for the loss of it on the St. Gotthard by the reflection that it is pleasant after all to doze comfortably whilst one glides through a tunnel secure from avalanches, snowstorms, and hootshelms. Everyone just wakes up with tunnel nightmares. Oh, my wide awake. Oh, thank God it's still here. Of course, the owners of the diligences and sleighs are going to be great losers, but these worthies have so long been accustomed to flee strangers that one need not pity them overmuch. Their extortions used to be one of the principal elements of worry in a journey up the St. Gotthard Road. The Vetturini on the Italian side were worse to deal with than those on the Swiss, for they had a shameless trick of thrusting under your nose a printed tariff which was all false. Many an exasperate Inspirated Pater Familius has gnashed his teeth and shaken his fists in the faces of the rascally crew of postilions and ostlers whose charges were enough to make even a bridegroom on his honeymoon tour wince. And so, good luck to the tunnel and bon voyage to those who will travel therein. The wow. end. <laughs> Uh, postilions. That that word. I wanna I wanna take and use oh. it. I'm gonna start calling people a, a bunch of postilions. Postilions all the time. and ostlers. Yeah, that's good. Like you'll send them home. You know, just like what? what yeah. Did you call me. Oh, there's no. Com- They'll get home and gnash their teeth. Oh man, like a frustrated gr- bridegroom <laughs> on his honeymoon tour. Yeah, what they were implying that I, that. It, it was they paid so much that even a bridegroom on their honeymoon took offense as though is that the thing is bridegrooms on honeymoons like are that's the stereotype of the time they're just willing to like dole out so much money i think maybe it's more like a bridegroom's like uh, it's okay honey i'm not gonna let this get the better of me uh here you are sir here's your tariff i have a feeling this is not legitimate but i'm on my honeymoon and i will not lose my temper in front of my bride Oh, uh, it's nice. Well, either way, quite sexist. Yeah. Quite sexist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the story of the St. Gotthard Tunnel. Uh, now, uh, what's the longest railway tunnel today? Oh, man. I, do you want to guess or do you want to know? Yeah, yeah. Let me guess. The longest railway tunnel. I would still say it's got to be through a giant. No, it's the channel. It's got to be the channel. It's not the channel. What? No. The channel's like very long. The channel, the channel is very what? long. Uh, okay, then then something I'm going to say through the Pyrenees. Ooh, where's the Pyrenees? It's in between uh, Spain and France. Okay, all right. That's a great guess. Um, but the longest railway tunnel and also the deepest is, in fact, the Gotard Base Tunnel. They built a new tunnel in the exact same spot. <laughs> Wow. How long is it? 57 kilometers long. 57 kilometers? 57 kilometers, and it was completed in 2016. It's uh, it's a brand new tunnel. Wow. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, uh, there are actually, uh, if you go to the long Wikipedia list of of the longest tunnels, that's the longest and deepest railway tunnel. But there are, in fact, longer uh, tunnels um, that might not, you know, carry passengers. But that tunnel is um, is said to cut an hour off your trip, That uh, the new Gotard-based tunnel, which is great. 
Wow. But the other one cut 24 hours off your trip. That was much more impressive, really. <laughs> way more bang for your you're buck. You're right. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just looking up on Wikipedia the world's longest tunnels that are in use. Um, all of them, all the top ones are water tunnels. Ah, yes. Until the Guitar Base Tunnel. How long do you think the longest water supply tunnel is? Oh, boy. Um, uh, the longest water supply tunnel? Which is the longest tunnel in the world in use. Uh, I want to guess, and I'm not just guessing this because I have the exact same Wikipedia page open, but I want to guess it's the Delaware <laughs> Aqueduct in New York State. Which of course, the Delaware Aqueduct makes sense that it's New York City's main water supply tunnel. <laughs> but tell me how long it is. 137,000 meters. Wow. So that that would be, if I'm not mistaken, 1,370 kilometers long. Right? Like uh, that's No, no, that would be, a, that would be 137 uh, kilometers. Well, I guess... I guess uh, looks like I'm not winning this book in a math contest. <laughs> Leslie Wallace, you are not. <laughs> wow. I'd like to thank Alistair Forbes for joining me on this episode of the Dubious Book of Famous Deeds. You can find Alistair on Instagram at Forbes, But more importantly, and he asked me to plug this, you can find his corgi, Valkyrie, on Instagram at Corginfluencer. That's good content. I've been there. I've I've creeped that dog. <laughs> Is that a term still? Creeping? Creeping somebody on Instagram? Is that a thing? I creep dogs. Next episode. The search for a marine passage to China and India has been the cause of much death and destruction over the last 500 or more years. But we're going to hear about a group of people who did it the right way. Nobody died in their search for a route to China. Except for them. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is produced and recorded in Toronto. It's part of the Sonar Network. Go to thesonarnetwork.com and check out the many funny and thoughtful podcasts offered there. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review. It goes a long way towards helping this show find its audience. You can subscribe as well so that you never miss an episode. Follow the podcast online at Famous Deeds on Twitter and at Famous.Deeds on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BatesBot9000. If you want to get in touch, whether to ask questions, correct my work, lodge a complaint, or just say hi, I want to hear from you. Shoot an email to famousdeeds at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the work I put into researching and producing this podcast, why not buy me a coffee? You can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash famous.deeds. It's an easy way to support creators all over the internet. Until next time, I'm Paul Bates. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.